I want you to turn with me this morning to Matthew chapter 14. You know, always pray, try to ask God for direction about what He would have us to say. I was uh, walking a track one morning years ago, early, and uh, I got to thinking about this about the storms that had been coming through our area. And of course, last night, if you watched the news, uh, just in Nashville, north of Nashville, they had tornadoes, severe weather. I've got a friend, a uh, young preacher and his family, and I can't even get an answer from them. They live actually in Clarksville, Tennessee, where that tornado went through last night. So, uh, and then I was down in South Florida at a friend of mine, a pastor, I'm supposed to be there next weekend, actually, a final, final stop this year, and there was one of those trees, I call them a live oak, and uh, I, I saw something after a storm came through, I'm getting ahead of myself, That's, this was just born, and I believe the Lord's going to talk to us, I never copied this after anybody, never got it out of anybody's book, and there's nothing wrong uh, Brother Clendenin said, sometimes you just have to make something your own. Let me read the scripture. Verse 22 of Matthew chapter 14. And straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him unto the other side while he sent the multitudes away. When he had sent the multitudes away, he went up unto a mount, into a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them, walking on the sea. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit. And they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid." Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. He said, Come. And when Peter was down, come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and called him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, Wherefore didst thou doubt? When they were come into the ship, the wind ceased. Then they that were in the ship came and worshipped him, saying, Of a truth, thou art the Son of God. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, always I confess I have no talent. I don't have any ability to say or do anything that affects anybody. But I pray this morning for that fresh unction and fresh oil and fresh anointing. And I ask that you would anoint the people to hear and to receive the word. And we're going to give you the praise and the honor and the glory for it all in Jesus' name. Everybody says amen. You may be seated. That particular summer, and of course I've seen that since, we had an unusual season of storms and some of them were quite severe. Uh, 
the North Alabama and sometimes through West Tennessee, it's become the new Oklahoma and Kansas as far as storms. I don't know what's happened, but and in that, uh, these winds damaged a lot of the old oak trees. We have a lot of them in Tennessee, if you've ever been there, and, and some of them uh, fell in people's yards and damaged their homes and so forth. And I remember driving by and seeing the damage and the oak tree, and when you just looked at it from a distance, it was still beautiful green foliage. There was nothing about that tree that would make you think that it was susceptible to being just broken into the way that it was after the, the storm had passed through. They were, it was just like you had snapped them over. But one day I, I, I got closer to one of them and I realized what had happened that this healthy looking strong oak the reason it didn't survive the storm was because it had a rotten, decayed place on the inside. In fact, it was totally decayed. It was black, if you will. I had a picture of that. I started to have them put it up, but it was just black and rotting, but it was hidden from the natural eye. It was only the storm that revealed what was on the inside. You know, the first time I ever saw that, I, I, when I saw these fallen giants, I felt like that the Lord was teaching me a, a spiritual lesson. Jesus always, often used these object lessons, if you will, to teach the disciples great truths. But, uh, but me, I knew that he was saying something very special. And people measure Christians they measure them in many different ways. I've, you know, I've been around Pentecost most of my life, and I've saw that. They measure them by their charity or good deeds, others by the way they look, others by other things. But one of the greatest means or ways of testing a Christian is to observe how they survive the great storms of life. Can you say amen to that? You see, Peter seemed to exhibit such grand faith when Jesus was walking on that water and he bid him to come out. When Peter stepped out and kept his eyes on Jesus, and I know pastors probably preached on that. I'm sure I have over the years. But when he stepped out on that water, he walked as long as he kept his eyes on the Son of God. But the moment... He got his eyes on the waves and he began to feel and notice the blowing of the wind and the sound of the thunder and the, the flashing of the lightning. Peter began to sink. And in that, we see something about him because, now I don't know that it happened this way, but I can imagine that when, when, when Peter stepped out of that boat and began to walk on that water, those disciples standing there, you know, kind of poke each other and say, man, look at him. Look at Peter walking on that water, you know, what faith he's got. But there was something about the waves and about the storm that shows us the inside of Peter. And Jesus said that in verse 31, he said, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? The storm, it revealed in Peter a heart of unbelief. You know, so and soul may keep the teachings of the church, but fall apart and demonstrate an utter 
an utter lack of faith and trust during the storms of life. It's not what you always see about people. They may seem meek and mild on Sundays when they're in an atmosphere of, of, of peace and spiritual tranquility and then manifest the most carnal of spirits when the storms are raging in their lives. Oh, you're quiet. In Matthew 7, 24 and 27, Jesus told his disciples what storms can reveal about certain types of Christians. He said, a wise man or a good Christian is one who builds his house upon a rock. Or one that, that hears the word of God and obeys it. But he said, when the rains come and descend, the floods come and the winds blow, and when they beat upon that house, it will not fall because it is upon, built upon the rock. But he said, a foolish man are those who hear the truth and refuse to keep his commandments. They're like the man who builds his house upon the sand. And when the rains come and the floods come and when the winds blow and beat upon on that house, the Bible said it will fall, and great is the fall of it. Great is the fall of it. You know, I, some years ago, uh, here in California, you were having a lot of rain and mudslides over on the, the coast where those houses, those multi-million dollar homes were built overlooking the Pacific Ocean. And, uh, you know, I, on the news, it showed these news helicopters as they were flying around in front on the ocean side, and you could see the front of those beautiful multi-million dollar homes still standing there, uh, but when the helicopter flew around the back, I've got it reversed now, the helicopter was in the front of it, the ocean behind, but when it flew around, when it flew around to the back of the house, it was gone. It had, had fallen off into the Pacific Ocean. It was just a facade, beautiful facade of the front of that that home there. That storm had come. I'm telling you there's a lot of facade Christians today. When you look at them, you think, man, they got it all together. They love God. They're, they're spiritual people. But it's, it's a little presumptuous and dangerous to always assume that the ones that seem the most spiritual, the one who testifies the loudest or shouts the highest or even that preaches the grandest, it, it, it's, it's something time dangerous to assume that they are the real pillars of the church. I remember Brother Clinton telling how that a soldier that he saw when he was in the Marines during World War II, he said he was a farm boy out of Texas and said that, uh, he said, I, I was afraid I joined the Marines, he said, but I'm just telling you, he said, I was afraid. I, I knew we were going, may not come back, but he said, I saw one of these Marines, and he had one of these uh, 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 tank, tank shirts or tank top shirts or whatever with the straps you know, on his arms, his muscles showing, and said he had a big tattoo on one of those arms, and it was like a skull and a crossbone. And he said, when I saw that, it had the writing under it, death before dishonor. 
And he said, man, when I, I, I looked at that, I thought I would like to be able to have the courage that that man has. But he said, you know, he said, the last time I saw that man, he was being sentenced to 20 years in Levensworth for desertion. He was at a court-martial because of desertion. So what it is is that storm of war had a way to reveal the true inner courage in men that actually outwardly showed some fear but then it showed also the cowardice of those who appeared to be the brave. So it's not always what you see. We, we have people, you know, that they talk the talk and they testify the testimony and they can even sing the song. Uh, uh, but it doesn't mean that they're going to stand when the storms of life come their way. It's not everybody that says, yes, I, I'm going to hold on till the end but it's the ones that endure to the end you know there was a there's a great scriptural example of this that's found in Acts chapter 27 with Paul on his way to Rome to stand before Caesar He's fought beast at Ephesus. He's been stoned. He's been imprisoned. He, he's had a, a all type of tests, you know. He's had to, uh, Brother B.H. said one time that he was certain that when they stoned him on that one occasion that he, he was dead and, and that God raised him from the dead. But he said that uh, when he probably in this time he faced one of the greatest tests in all of his life. And it's in Acts chapter 27 when he's on his way to Rome. And this is in the Amplified and it says this, the south wind blew so Softly, supposing they were gaining their object, they weighed anchored and sailed along Crete, hugging the coast. But soon afterward, a violent wind of the character of a typhoon called a northeaster came bursting down from the island. And when the ship was called and was unable to head against the wind, we gave up and letting her drift were borne along. He said, when there were sun nor stars were visible for many days, he said we couldn't see the, the, the daylight for days on end. We couldn't see the stars at night. And when the tempest kept raging about us, he said all hope of us finally being saved was gone. You know what he did? He went down below and he got with God Almighty. And then he came out on the deck of that ship and he said, he said, brethren, he said, the angel of the Lord has appeared to me this night and he told me that everything's going to be alright and I believe what God has said. What did the storm do? It showed that inside of a man by the name of the Apostle Paul that he had determination, that he had faith in God. There were no black spots, no decayed spots, no rotten places to cause him to doubt and become angry at the Almighty but he put his trust in the Lord. He's trust in the Lord. He said, I believe what God has said. I was reading some years ago in the Second Chronicles, the 25th chapter. And I came away after reading that thinking this has to be that one of the saddest yet most fascinating, intriguing stories in the Bible. What the storm reveals about people. 
It's the story of Amaziah, the king of Judah, and he was just 25 years old when he began to reign. Amaziah had to be a welcome relief to the people from his father, Joash. Joash was so evil, he had the prophet Zechariah slain between the porch and the altar in the temple of God. And according to 2 Chronicles 25 verse 4, Amaziah seemed to be one of those kings that would obey the law of Moses. He, he obeyed the word of God. And then the Bible tells us in verses 6 through 10 that he seemed to be one that would heed the correction and the voice of God's prophet. In other words, in that church, he was one of those that said, hey, I'm when the word of God was preached, he said, amen, and I'm going to believe it and obey it. And then when he needed counsel from the man of God, he said, I, I agree to what you say, and I'm going to do what you tell me. Now, that, that seemingly is a kind of heart that he had. And so God sent a prophet to him because there was an army that was coming against him called from Seir. And he hired an army from Ephraim, the tribe of Ephraim, for a hundred talents of silver to go against them. And then the prophet of God, the man of God, came by and he said, God said, if you take that army from Ephraim with you, you'll, you'll die. And he said, but what am I going to do? I've already paid them to be mercenaries. I've given them a hundred talents of silver. What am I going to do about what I've paid? He said, don't worry about it. He said, God's able to give you much more than that. Now, I mean, this, this young king said, you know what? I'm going to trust God. I'm going to believe what you say, man of God. And he sent the army of Ephraim back home. And so he, here he is. I mean, he's, he's showing himself to be a godly and obedient king. He kept the law of Moses. He was obedient to the word of God. But there's something there. And the Bible reveals it to us in one verse, in verse 2. And he, talking about Amaziah, and he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. If we could stop right there, we could shout amen and count him up as one of those kings that, that had a great end and a great, great uh, time on the throne of Israel. But here's what it said in the rest of that verse. But not with a perfect heart. You know, I read that. I dropped my head and I said, that's one of the greatest fears I have. After having preached this gospel all over the world for 40, 45, 40 plus years, 45 years as a Christian, but 43 years of preaching this gospel, soon to be 44, having traveled all over this world preaching this and trying to do the work of the kingdom, helping people, trying to help widows and orphans and so forth. But do all of that, trying to please God, but yet not with a perfect heart. Something there, something rotten, something black, something decayed. Something's deep in his heart. We can't see it from the Scripture. We, we don't know what it's like. And all those about Him, no doubt, did not either. But it's there, and it takes a storm to reveal it. It wasn't that this storm brought ultimate defeat and sorrow, death and tragedy that got Him down and discouraged. You know, you see that in Christians and people that are weak 
as far as their Christian faith. It wasn't something that happened so that he could blame God and ask, why did you allow this terrible thing to happen to me? It was a storm. It was a battle, a hard battle with Seir. But he won and ended up with a great victory. This is what is, I don't know that the word would be intriguing more than it is perplexing, but it is amazing. He won the battle. God gave him the victory. He brought him through as he promised and he blessed him, blessed him with spoils from the battle, man. He, he far surpassed that hundred thousand or that hundred talents of silver. And so when he won the battle and God blessed him and, and did what he said he would do, you would have expected Amaziah to have a praise service and a day of thanksgiving and offer sacrifices unto the Lord and celebrate the goodness of God and the things of God. But yet, in, it's unbelievable what happens in verses 14 and 15. It said, Now it came to pass when Amaziah was come from the slaughter of the Edomites that he brought the gods of the children of Seir, and set them up to be his gods. I mean, he's just whipped them. He's beaten them. And before the dust of the battle settled, before the blood dried up in the sand, he's already gone into their homes and their temples and got their gods and set them up to be his and bowed himself down before them and burned incense unto them. And then God sent the, the prophet to him, and it said, The anger of the Lord was kindled against Amaziah, and the prophet said unto him, Why hast thou sought after the gods of the people, which could not deliver their own people out of thine hand? What is the matter with you? I, I promised you blessings. I, I promised you deliverance. I promised you a, a good life and peace. But yet, when I gave you this good life and peace and delivered you out of your troubles and out of your bondage, out of your drug addiction, out of the, the problems that you had, this bad home life and this bad this and bad that, and I, I healed your body and when no one thought you could be healed and I, I moved in this situation, I brought you out of bankruptcy, I brought you out of this, and then you turn around and go back to the same world. And the same things that I brought you out of. You see, I've seen His Spirit in the church even in modern times and in the hearts of many, many Christians in these 40 plus years. They, they go through all the rituals and the ceremony. They, they obey, you know, they seemingly obey the Word of God. They seem to listen to the counsel of pastors and other such people of God in the church. And they're just your good average church member. Man, they don't cause you any trouble. And you like to have them a part of the church, you may put them on the board. And I, I don't even know who on, who's on the board here, so don't get any idea. I'm just telling you. But then one day comes the storm to their life. I mean, it's, it's coming, the storm, and it's going to come. And you can believe it, if you haven't had a storm, there's a storm coming. 
because that's the way it is in life. You see, Christianity, God does not protect you from the storm, but He'll keep you in the storm. That storm comes, and it doesn't necessarily have to be one of those storms that, that crushes a person down, that takes something so precious from them that they can't bear it. It doesn't have to be one of those kind of storms that leaves them in a wheelchair or a hospital bed or visiting a grave in a cemetery, but, but maybe it's like this one with Amaziah. Maybe they come through the battle of life victorious and well, and winners bruised, bruised, yes, but but. but but somehow more blessed than ever. But the next thing you know, those same people, I've seen this, they, they start missing coming to the house of God. Come on now. They, God's moved in their life. God's brought them out. God's given them victory. He's given them peace. He, he's given them deliverance. But they, they start skipping the prayer meeting. They start not coming regularly to the house of God. And they start slack up on their giving. And they start missing so many Sundays going to the beach or the lake or the wherever people go, you know. And, and the next thing you know, they, they start taking on some old habits or visible signs that you know that, that the world is manifesting in their life and then all of a sudden their attitudes change and it's obvious to, to the people around them that they, they've come to love the world more than they love God now and people say oh man what's happened to them pastor what, what's gone wrong what changed them I'm here to tell you that nothing changed them that's what they've been all along nothing's changed it's always been there it was never dealt with. It was never, God was not, never allowed there to deal with that rotten, decayed, black place in that heart. It's like Amaziah. He, he was right in the sight of God as far in many ways, but yet not, not with a whole heart. Not with everything within him. They, something was always there. Nothing changed. I know we always... Mentioned Brother Clendenin a lot, but I'm telling you, he left us a treasure trove of things, to, stories and illustrations. But I'll never forget what he told about a man in his church years ago at the church in Beaumont. He said a man, his phone rang one night, and one of the men of the church was on the other side of the or they on the other li on the line talking, and said he was just screaming and yelling. He had had his wife to a doctor somewhere that day, and she'd been diagnosed with cancer. And he's screaming. He said, "Why did God allow this? Why did He do this to us?" And said, "Man, he was berating God, berating me." And said, "Brother Clendenin told him, said because God knew the first time He didn't come running, you're going to act this way." He said, because God knew this is what you are and this is what you've always been. Angry. The storm of disease revealed a bitter heart ready to blame God. You know, we were talking yesterday and standing outside of the restaurant and in fact, when and I were just talking about it just in the last few days about my, my mother, her mother is in the hospital 
Took her yesterday morning. She's her blood pressure been way over like 200, way over 200 and something, over 100 and something, and it's been really a bad situation. And uh, she was torn. She felt like she needed to be here and was torn. And I'm thinking I'm going. You're I'm not. I'm going to let you make that decision. But we were in this conversation about my mother back many years ago. She. We were in Florida, and they were doing a fundraiser for us to go to the mission field to go to Romania, and not Armenia, but Romania, and uh, we got a phone call, and we, we rushed back to Tennessee, and she'd had a massive heart attack. Ten percent of her heart was left, and that was all, and they couldn't even do open heart surgery in the first. Now, this is 1991. Uh, at first, they couldn't do anything, so a week went by, two weeks, she's in the hospital, and they said, well, we're going to be able to do it before long, and we were supposed to leave for Romania. Well, you know, just common sense says you don't go. So we have, are staying over in the city. We live maybe nearly an hour away from the hospital, I guess, and so I went back to our hometown and our home and got us some clothes, and I went by the old the old church where we were raised up. And so I had a key and I went in and I was just praying. And I walked back and forth now in front of that altar. And I said, now God, I don't understand what I'm feeling. My mother, they, they don't even know she'll live through this surgery. And she is the pillar of our family. And you know how much we love her and what she means to us. And this trip, she, I said, or this, I said, we don't know what to do because I can't get this out of my heart, my spirit. I feel like we need to go, but I can't go, and I don't know how to deal with it. I don't know what to do about it. Well, I walk out of there, get in the vehicle, get back to the hospital, and I walk in. Now, I've never said anything to my mother about this, not one thing. And she looked up at me and she said, "Son, you have to go." To Romania. And I said, well, no, we can't do that. We can't. Oh, she said, you can. She said, if you stay here, said, God's called you for this. If you stay here, you'll put me before God. And she said, son, you can never do that. Well, we went. It was a disaster. I mean, there's nothing good that happened. I I'm telling you, the only thing's good that happened, we didn't get killed. We thought we was going to, we were in a car wreck in Hungary. We, we were, uh, thought we were going to be robbed by the gypsies in the city we were in, in, in Romania. We, we, we were, the plane, uh, uh, one of those, uh, what do they call that, where it pushes the plane back down, a thrush of air, or some type of air, I forgot what that's called, and, and it tried to push us back down, uh, flying out of uh, one of the cities there, back to Austria. Man, it was a disaster. Everything was a disaster. And we never got, I never even preached a gospel or witnessed anybody. I mean, we were just trying to, you know, it was, it was crazy. But in that, we saw God. When we got there, I mean, we're talking about 1991. Wall just come down. Those countries were as backward as could be. Uh, you could talk on a telephone across the street, and you couldn't hardly hear. You know, the technology horrible. So I, I got there at that hotel that night, and it was a a, a dump. 
And I said to the young man, I said, I, I need to call back to the stage. My mother's in the hospital, pretty serious. And he said, no, no, impossible. I said, what do you mean impossible? He said, everything we have is routed through Moscow. He said, there ain't nobody there. In the morning, tomorrow, yes, we'll be able. It's impossible. Oh, I was disappointed. So I went up to our room. You couldn't even lock the door on the room. And the, the Roma, the gypsies, were surrounded outside. <laughs> They're walking. Well, we had a couple with us, a pastor and his wife. And, and they were there with us. And they were just a basket case, man. I'm telling you, they've never been anywhere. And so I tell Gwen, I said, get the phone. And I said, call their room and ask how they're doing. And I'm going to tell you, this is the truth. I mean, God in heaven. Now, they said we could never call back out. But when my wife picked up the phone, when Gwen picked up the phone to call their room 4,000 miles away, her mother's phone rings. And her mother was on the line. When Gwen picked up, her mother was on the line saying, hello, hello, hello. You said, explain that. Well, I have no way to explain that. Her mother just said the phone goes to ringing. And, and, and when she picks it up, then her daughter's on the other side. Well, we get back. I'm, I'm taking too long, but we get back to the, they do the surgery. My mother comes through it, but she's on a heart pump. She's not recovering. She's not getting better. And two weeks go by. And we pray. And we say, oh, God, we did your will. We've done what we believed you want us, wanted us to do. In fact, we left when everybody felt that was crazy and we shouldn't do it, but we left because we believed that was the will of God. And that's what my mother said to us. This is the will of God. You have to go. And then that morning after all that time, I went into a, a little chapel there and I prayed and I said, you know, I want you to heal her. But if you take her, I'll stand there and praise you as her soul goes into the, with, the, with the angels. Well, that day, her soul went with the angels, and we stood at the foot of her bed and worshiped God. And the day we buried her in that funeral, my family and I, at that time, and girls were traveling in a four, living in a 45-foot filth wheel. That was our home, pulled by an old Ford truck, evangelizing. And so when we started back, and we started up into that filth wheel that day after the funeral, our hearts are broken. And Gwen said, she was crying. She said, I don't understand it. She said, we did what God wanted us to do. We did what we thought we should do. Why would he take her? And I'll never forget, it just came out of me. I don't know either. All I know is the judge of all the earth will do what's right. We're going to trust him. We've got to trust Him. The storm of disease revealed a bitter heart. Jeremiah 17 and 9, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who shall know it? Somebody said, If I know my heart, you don't. People, I've heard that, haven't you? Oh, if I know my heart. And I'm thinking, no, you don't know it. Because I don't know mine. How can one really know one's own heart, what really lies there waiting to be revealed by some tragedy or sorrow in life? 
God has a way of finding out, verse 10, I the Lord search the heart, I try the reins, even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. In Job 5 and 6, he said, Although affliction cometh not forth of dust, neither doth trouble spring out of the ground, yet man is born unto trouble, and sparks fly upward. He said, Behold, happy is the man whom God correcteth, he said, therefore despise not thou the chastening of the Almighty. And this is what he said, for he, God, maketh sore and bindeth up. He, God, woundeth and his hands make whole. He breaks us, then he heals us, and he wounds us, then he binds us up. But in and all, we have to trust him, and he does that through the storms of life. Something's there. I'm going to tell you, folks, I've had, I've had a lot of storms and I've had a lot of things come out of it and I've seen that it's not always good in here. Closing, 1978, my only brother, he was 12 years older than me and my dad died when I was six, so my brother was kind of a dad and brother. He's sad. He was an alcoholic, a drug addict, a drug pusher, much of his life. In 1978, on one Friday afternoon, summer, he was killed instantly. As far as we know, he died instantly in a, in a car accident. Three of them died. One survived uh, with brain damage, but they hit a gas truck head-on in the car. They couldn't even open my brother's casket. My mother had been a faithful Christian. And she wasn't one of those uh, <clears throat> that you had to wonder when she died. She was faithful to the end. From the 19, early 1940s, she had served God. And I can tell you, I know we all feel this way about her mother, but I've never known anyone in my whole life with a pure heart. She prayed for my brother. She prayed for me many years. And I don't understand why things go the way they go. Yet one summer, Friday afternoon, he went into eternity drunk. I know. I was, a, I was not a Christian at the time. I was a drug addict myself. But I know a thousand demons had to be screaming at her, look how God has rewarded your faithfulness. Why would a just God allow this to come upon you? All you've ever, all you've ever done is try to please Him. And as I, again, wasn't a Christian, I was the worst of a human myself. So I never observed this, but one of my neighbors who was a friend of my mother's in the church, and this is what she told me, and this is what I close with. My mother was the song leader in our Pentecostal church, and she had been that for a number of years. My neighbor told me, she said, when after the burial of your brother, she said, your mother never missed a service. But for the first two weeks at least, she came in and she sat down in her pew. And she never came to the choir. She never led a song. She just didn't do anything. She never missed. But she's too heartbroken. 
and said, after about two weeks, said, you know, it's always kind of the old, it's one of those old traditional churches, and the pastor said, all right, everybody come to the choir, and they get the little redback hymnal out, and my mother had done that for years, and she stood over by the piano, and she led the choir, that she came and just sat, and so now, you know, everything she had stood for, everything she had testified about all those years, everything she had lived up to that point is on the line now. She had sung an old song. I can, sometimes I get to thinking about it and I can hear her sing that old song. It says, I love him too much to fail him now. I love him too much to break my vow. I promise the Lord. I would make it somehow. I love Him too much to fail Him now. But it's one thing to sing a song. It's one thing to get up and testify in a good service where you've been blessed that night and the Spirit's moving about how you're going to be faithful to the end and live for God no matter what comes or goes because that's okay, but that's just words. But the storm's coming. And after the storm comes through, then we're going to find out about your song, about your testimony, about your witness, what's on the inside, what has it revealed. My neighbor told me, he said, after a few services, she came in as always and sat in her pew. And I know people had to wonder what she's going to do now. Is she going to be, she going to blame God? Is she going to be bitter? That her son died probably instantly. That she's prayed for and cried out to God on his behalf. But that one service, she came in a couple of weeks later. And the pastor stood up and said, all right, everybody come to the choir. And my mother stood up. And she made her way up by the old piano. She took a songbook and she said, open to page so-and-so. And she started singing. And she never looked back. The storm never broke her. Never broke her. She's still saying, I love him too much to fail him now. I love him too much to break my vow. I promised the Lord that I would make it somehow. I love him too much to fail him now. Would you stand? I can tell you, I have so many things about the end time church and the prophetic days of the church and I could have preached here this morning. But I went down to my office and this just was there. It just my heart. And every time I prayed and every time I looked, that's what I felt this morning. What the storm reveals. I can't say, I know some of you have done been through storms, so I'm not, I'm not preaching at you or to you because, I mean, that's easy. But a lot of you, I don't even know what your storm is, what it's been, or what it, what's coming. 
I just know we have to love him too much to be bitter. And if there's something there, folks, I can tell you in the days ahead, I know I've said this like a broke record. I preached it last week. I was in two churches north, uh, in California, east of uh, San Francisco, and I preached and uh, just dealing with that, the things that are coming, the things that are going to happen, the things we're going to deal with. God forbid that we face those things till Jesus comes with that decayed place spiritually in our hearts. That black, rotten spot on the inside. The church where I'm planning to be next weekend is one of, I think they call them a live oak tree. It's some type of oak. And it's by the church and a storm had come through which is not uncommon there. Even uh, hurricanes that come through and get on inland. Man, it, it absolutely split those trees open. They were just laying everywhere. And I, walked, I was walking one morning, and I took a picture with my phone. The inside was just black, rotten, decayed. But on the outside, before that, it was beautiful. It had green leaves. The bark looked perfectly healthy the storm revealed what's on the inside would you bow your heads with me this morning I don't want I don't want to face tomorrow something comes we've had things happen that we never dreamed would happen or could happen I don't want to face it with something dark here rotten decayed place in my heart that I think everything may be okay everything's fine I love the Lord I want, I'm trying to do His will but yet something not with a perfect heart would make me bitter make me turn away from God and turn back to the world or a God that has helped me and that's delivered me and cared for me and my family and my children has been good to us but not with a perfect heart anybody else I can't see your heart this morning. Obviously, I, I don't know your heart any better than I know mine, but God does. But not only does he look, he tries, the Bible said. He tries the reins. That means he's testing us in the heart, the condition of the heart. He brings that out. He reveals it in storms and trials and tests and things that happen bad. Anybody else this morning?